You're listening to the Jiu-Jitsu Lou podcast and I'm Lou Temlett. I'm guessing you're having a good day because either you've been on the mats or considering getting on the mats or maybe taking your family to train. I'm so happy you're here listening or watching this episode. Please don't tap out before the end. When you want to start a jiu-jitsu school, learn what works for everyone else. I'd like to welcome Ian to my podcast. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? Hi, Lou. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Let's have a bit of an introduction um, because you are Ian and you own an independent jiu-jitsu school. So give me a bit of your background and what you're up to now. Okay. um, I'm Ian Rossiter, frustrated jiu-jitsu player. Uh, (laughs) I've been training Brazilian jiu-jitsu since 1999. My original background was traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, which oh. I started in 1987. And as with us, most of us, people that have been around a long time, the UFC came along, Hoist Gracie ripped it up, and we had to learn it. And, uh, yeah, look for schools around that time, and away we go. That's amazing. Remind me what year, 1987, did you start? Uh, traditional jiu-jitsu, Yes. Okay, so tell me about traditional jiu-jitsu. What does that look like? So there's varying different styles, as there is with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The style I learned was from a gentleman from Kidderminster called Ron Banfield, who taught my instructor. Lots of groundwork. Yep. Lots of punching and kicking and throws and everything, wrist locks. So... Traditional jiu-jitsu incorporates Aikido, karate, judo, and obviously the knee waza from old school Kosin judo, which later became Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay, good. You were talking in code there. I didn't have a clue what you said, but hopefully anyone that's listening will absolutely understand what you've just said. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) So that's a lot incorporated in traditional jiu-jitsu um i've heard of aikido because um some friends of mine back at university in the 90s used to do that um i know about judo because there there are a lot of kind of judo throws and a lot of you know teammates i know that train judo as well as brazilian jiu-jitsu um but how does traditional jiu-jitsu differ from what we know now know as brazilian jiu-jitsu so traditional jiu-jitsu is what the samurais did, basically. And it encompassed, encompassed everything, weaponry. And if you think of traditional jiu-jitsu like a tree, off that tree came Wadaru Karate, Judo, Kendo, Aido with the sword, other martial arts as well. And they all specialized in that, where jiu- traditional jiu-jitsu was everything. Ah. Oh. That's that's quite interesting. I can't imagine incorporating weapons and swords and things. I'm I'm quite safe on the mats with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So <laughs> did so to, what, explain more. So did you get involved with all of those different styles back in '87? Yeah, the, well, the person that told me, my old instructor Chad Sidaway. Um, yeah, it was just everything. Part. Every, Every belt had requirements for the grading system, and you learned parts as you moved up through the belt system. Yeah, and there were, there were dare I say, it, weapons and things like yeah. that. Was that like, all part of yeah. it? Tomfer, which is almost like a what the police use, 
katana, Japanese sword, sai, which is like the and sickles. Yeah. So yeah, it was goodness. Yeah. It was mainly um what we used to call kata, which was forms where you do set movements. Yeah. So not much self-defense with it, but it was um just learning how to use them. That's really cool. And has that given you, you know, uh, do you feel a greater experience for, for what you're training now? When I transitioned across to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it definitely gave me a head start because a lot of the stuff we did was realistic. Obviously, we'd punch and kick to close the distance to take the person to the floor and then finish them with groundwork. It was part of what, what I've been doing. So it yes. certainly gave me a head start. Obviously, not with the effectiveness of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. but the elements were there. That's really good. And that was that was quite an early um, kind of foundation for your life. Um, Not but... as early as I would have liked. Oh, okay. Tell me, tell me about as early as you would like. Oh, so when I was a child, I always wanted to do martial arts, but my parents said, you beat your brother up. We're not going to pay <laughs> for you to do this. So um, when I started working, I stumbled across a jiu-jitsu school in Western. Yeah. And I was fortunate that they did stop me because jujitsu wasn't in Western Supermare back when I was young. I would have probably yeah. ended up doing something like karate and no disrespect to karate. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be doing that now. I would have just stopped. Yeah. And probably got bored of it. And yeah. I was fortunate to come across Chad, my instructor and away we went. I think it's really good, actually. We always find these activities or hobbies just at the right time in our lives when we're supposed to, rather than, you know, kind of forcing it. Tell me why you were interested in martial arts in those very early days. I don't really know. It's I was a skinny, scrawny kid at school. And I wouldn't say picked on, but I just wanted to learn how to defend myself. And I, my age... Late seventies is all the kung fu stuff, and Bruce Lee yeah. was so. Yeah, just always fast Japanese culture and things like that always fascinated me. Oh, that's good. Um, I remember growing up and my um, my mum watching the Bruce Lee movies and all of that, but um, it it never sparked my interest. But maybe there's there was something passed on in the genes to uh, make me decide to start training now. So you run. Now, an independent uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu school in Western Supermare in the southwest of England. And tell me how that came about. Okay, so with the traditional jiu-jitsu, I started teaching when I was a third-degree black belt. And basically, as I said, the UFC come along. I wanted to then pursue Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So we used to travel around the country with the one other guy that I used to train with just to find instructors. Cause back in 1999, there was no instructors in this country. The nearest was wow. uh, Maurizio Gomez at the custard factory in Birmingham. Oh yes. Or we had to go to London to club Kensington and, and make use of people who came black belts that came over to the country to attend seminars. We were fortunate that uh, a gentleman called Roberto Atala that's all he did. He used to tour the UK, giving seminars various weekends through the year. So we go up to Glasgow, down to Torquay, Paynton, wow. and train with him. He was the first person 
to award me my blue belt at one of his seminars back in 2003. Wow. Maybe 2004. I'll have to yeah. check that, but I think it was late 2003 in Paynton. Fantastic. So you got your, you were promoted to your blue belt in 2004, uh, which means uh, it's 20 years since you were promoted to a blue belt. And now yeah. you're a third degree black belt. Yeah. Um, w- tell me about the those blue belt journeys. It was finding, it's just finding people to, back then, we're spoiled now. There's jujitsu clubs everywhere. And there was nothing back then. It was, yeah. we had to learn from, it wasn't YouTube either. It was all scabby VHSs. And yep. there, used to, there used to be this book called The Fighter's Notebook. And it was like a Encyclopedia Britannica. And you'd open it up and it'd show you have pictures of all the moves. And you try and link it together. And then obviously when an instructor came to the country, you'd yeah. go and sh- train and you say well you obviously learned that out of the book you're doing it wrong (laughs) (laughs) i love that um, and and now we just you know follow stuff on instagram and then mm. um, it's still wrong because we have to watch it a million times (laughs) yeah but it was shortly after that i transitioned i left my traditional jiu-jitsu instructor and opened and did my own thing wow as a blue belt yeah, but I was doing a mixture of traditional jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but we were rapidly moving away from that, Yeah, from t- the traditional side. So I've spoken with um, a number of people and they go to the seminars uh, within the UK and they travel abroad and they have lovely holidays and they, you know, go to training camps. But how many... Uh, it's quite a, a significant commitment to train a sport in this way. How many hours were you training back then of a week? Um, um, I only used to run my club once a week. It then progressed to two as I got higher up the belts. Yeah. But um, I used to travel up to Bristol two to three times a week to train with either my the three instructors I had in Bristol, Carlos Lemos, Italo Ferreira, and Chico Mendes, I used to travel up there two to three times a week to train with them wow. and then run my club. That's amazing. Yeah. I, Carlos, I... Carl, Carlos came to Bristol in 2004. Um, I remember going to the first session he did in a martial arts, martial arts shop up Gloucester Road called Enzo Martial Arts. And it was a yeah. little padded, little room out the back with mats and, yeah, I think that was the first Gracie Baja Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class that happened in Bristol. Wow. Was, yeah. That's amazing. That was in 2004. Incredible. And we've come such a long way in those number of years as well mm. and the amount of classes and schools and I mean, you look, You look at it now, you, I, I'm not even sure how many Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu clubs there are in Bristol now. Because you think yes. of all the amazing instructors you got, you got Pedro, etc. Yes, and that's just one city. And um, you know, yeah. if you're considering the whole country, and um, you know, all of the different strands of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that's mm. amazing. So, all of that training, all of the experience, how difficult was it setting up your own jiu-jitsu school? It hasn't been that difficult. 
it's been quite organic. Obviously, I had a student base from the traditional traditional jiu-jitsu when I moved across. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just grown organically over the years. Obviously, where I am now with a full-time gym, class of seven days a week, that only happened a year ago. Ah. Yeah. So a year ago, we went from three, four classes a week to full-time in our own facility. Previously, I've always rented mat space. Yeah. So November last year, I spoke to my senior students, Martin, Paddy, and Chris, and said to them, look, we got an opportunity here. Let's do it. And they came on board with me. I made we were all equal partners. And uh, the club wouldn't be there if it wasn't for them. So it's yeah. bringing them in and bringing them forward. So yeah. giving, them a, giving them something to work for as well. And we're all working together. It's going really well. Really well. Fantastic. I'm really pleased for you. And actually, um, at the beginning of the show, you know, when you want to start a jiu-jitsu school, learn what works for everyone else. And it sounds like you, you've brought on a, an amazing group of individuals to support, but equally, you know, working in partnership and making your school even more successful to, you know, seven days a week. Um, opportunity to train and it doesn't sound like an easy thing to do whilst you make it sound really easy there are all sorts of logistics and various other things that I'm sure you've had to overcome even if you felt like they've been really easy uh, yes obviously <laughs> there's four of us now it's not just me calling the shots so yeah everyone has their different opinions on things obviously I'm old and grumpy I've been doing things a certain way for, well, as you said, 20 odd years and the rest. And bringing the other guys in, they've got a younger outlook. Yeah. So they're bringing fresher ideas. Oh, I'm no good with this social media stuff. So they're all pushing ahead with that. And it's working well. It's working well. Good. Obviously good. being a legitimate business as well now. It um, brings That's other really added complications. Good. but Yes, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, I it sounds like it's going great guns. Whereabouts can people find your school? Tell us a bit more. So if you Google uh, Rising Tide Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Google my name, it'll bring up my website and all details are there. We're just off the motorway in Western Supermare behind Sainsbury's. So as you pull into Western, yeah. massive supermarket on the right-hand side. We're just tucked in behind there on the little industrial estate. Oh, Everyone's fantastic. welcome. As long as you're respectful. Good. And yeah, all's good. Fantastic. Now, I do want to ask you about, you know, your kind of superhero special moves or something that uh, a move that you would go, yep, yeah, that's that's my move. What is it for you, Not, Ian? What tapping? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one. I wasn't expecting you to say that. <laughs> Don't tap out before the end, please. No. Um. um I love collar chokes. Okay, good. And that's come from my judo and jiu-jitsu, traditional jiu-jitsu background. I love setting up collar chokes, especially baseball bat. It's, my, yeah, my favourite. I, I was taught that yesterday on the mat by Salvo um, at Grace uh, of Bahar Salvo. and Bath. So I know that Salvo was... a very long time. <laughs> I'm I've sure got, you've I've got, got lots of stories. I've got lots of pictures. <laughs> um, no, I got I got photos of us back back in the day together when we were both low. Let's say lowly when we were 
2004 to between 2004 and 2006 in Bristol. Wow, nice. I love the fact that you've spent so long in the sport and you still talk about it with passion and enthusiasm and, you know, there's still something to gain and learn learn from it. The biggest thing that scared me about going full-time was losing that because when it becomes a business, it could sometimes suck the joy out of it. And jiu-jitsu has always been in my escape yeah. in what I do. Like my wife runs and she sees the massive benefit from that. And it's the same with me with jiu-jitsu. It's escapism. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. I think I think it's fantastic. Um, for me, it brings positive mental health and all sorts of other things as well as, you know, kind of working on specific moves and kind of core strength. And for me as well, it's about that community. And when you go into a school and, you know, you're welcomed in, it just, you know, there's that good good feeling about training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. No, it's it's a, definitely a community family environment. Obviously, you do get some gyms that are not quite like that but and don't welcome visitors. But, no, we've all got a very open-door policy if people want to come down and give it a try. And I just – what I find – I wish more women would give it a go. It's, oh yeah, yeah. and I get it's a very male-dominated area, and the positions aren't comfortable for women. Yeah, but it's so beneficial for them. Absolutely, I one hundred percent agree, um, and that's the reason for setting up this podcast was to really talk to people and encourage more women to start training. You know, I'm. I think in the US there are a lot more women over the age of kind of 40, 50, 60, or even seventy that train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and you know, kind of overcoming those the barriers and the fear. Um, I wouldn't have started unless someone said, look, you know, ladies train free for a month. Why don't you come and try it? You know, and uh, well over a year later, I'm still training and absolutely love it. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure I would have even thought about the the prospect um, prior to that point. It it takes a very strong woman to actually step on the mat, I think, especially in such a male, as I said, male-dominated environment. Yeah. It's... Yeah. But it's a very friendly environment, isn't it? Oh yeah. And yeah. that's that's the good bit that everyone makes you feel very welcome and it's very calm and you know the the feeling of empowerment and all of those positive things for for both men and women um and children. So your son trains Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. Is that right Ian? Yeah, he trains judo with our school. Our, our, our academy we have judo yeah. there on a tuesday night wow. and my children have trained judo both of them have since four four years of age wow so my son's 14 now he's as tall as me he does judo on a tuesday yeah and brazilian jiu-jitsu with me on the other days nice yeah. i think it's so important to involve the whole family um it just it's something to talk about or not talk about. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's good. Um, why do you think there is so much of a, a judo influence in Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Because it was a judo instructor that taught the graces. Ah, okay. I'm now yeah. learning more. Oh, right. Okay. So ask Salvo to borrow one of his books. I'm sure he's got loads of them, but um, yeah, it was a ju- uh, judo 
in, instructor went to teach in Brazil and yeah. he taught the Graces. So really what we do, we're doing is Brazilian judo, but yeah. obviously judo and jiu-jitsu are very intertwined. If you get the chance, Google Kosen Judo. Okay. And Kosen Judo, you will see so many similarities with the moves and everything. High focus on groundwork, Niwaza. Mm. So, I'll pop I'll pop a link in the in the show notes uh, for anyone that's interested and didn't quite catch that. This is the Jiu-Jitsu Lou podcast with me, Lou Temlet, coming to you from the UK. When you're ready to pick up some Jiu-Jitsu Lou merch, head over to jujitsulu.com forward slash shop. And if you're looking for a discount code, sign up to my newsletter. Today, I'm having a conversation with Ian from Rising Tide Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, Ian, we got to your blue belt journey and talk to me about that because setting up the school, for me, you know, I talk to a lot of blue belts and white belts, obviously, being um, a white belt. And, you know, some some of them have aspirations to set up a jiu-jitsu school at some point in the future. What is your greatest piece of advice? Okay. So although I said I set up as a blue belt, I was teaching as a black belt, third degree black, uh, black belt in traditional jiu-jitsu. So oh. my club was already in place. So I wow. wasn't setting up as a blue belt. I was okay. transitioning. And there was no schools about then either. And there was people in the area wanted to learn Brazilian yeah. Jiu-Jitsu because of the UFC, as I said earlier. When instructors became available in Bristol, I was traveling there to teach. What my advice would be, what I see nowadays is people getting disgruntled with where they're trading, be it blue belts or purple belts, yeah. and opening their own schools and teaching full-time. And I saw an interview that was done by another podcaster recently with a guy from Pedro's called Crocs. Anthony Crocker, yeah, and he hit the nail on the head. If you're running a full-time academy at Blue and Purple Belt, who's correcting your mistakes? Yeah. It's, it's a complex art. And as you alluded to in the title of this interview, or interview, podcast, yeah. what do you call it? it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm interviewing you, Ian. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's I, d I don't want to come across and cheese people off, but at Blue Belt, and purple belt you've got your game you've learned yeah. your game okay but Pur purple belt is the most important belt to me you've established your game what you're good at then but you can apply it for yourself but someone who's six foot four like me i need to understand how that worked for someone who's four foot six and yeah. understanding the whole game so yes if you're a blue and purple belt opening your own school great but make sure you're still learning yourself yeah. It's, it's, there's a massive amount of knowledge to learn. Even I'm still learning now. And I get people in to teach me leg locks. I get guest instructors into my club and it's expanding all the time. It's a never, ever ending learning curve. Yeah. And that's, what's great about it. That's, that's what's kept me interested all this, all this time. Yes. I think that's, you know, certainly a, a draw for me that, you know, there is no end game. We are just constantly learning and that desire to learn and 
you know, I, one of my previous guests, um, Emily, Emily Isles, um, we were talking about a particular move that she would just train and perfect that over a year or two. Um, and actually that struck me as like, okay, this is a lifelong journey. This is, you know, a number of, you know, a sequence, or like you say, you know, you've got your game as a blue belt or a purple belt. Um, but it's such a, a massive kind of matrix of, of knowledge and information, not just for yourself, but for mm. any other physical. Yeah. We, in, we had yeah. um, a gentleman called Josh Williams come over recently to do a leg lock seminar for us. And um, him and his brother, Ash, prolific fighters, they would say if they got stuck on a position, they would drill that position for like two and a half months. So it yep. was there ingrained in them. And that's just mental. But yeah. that's what's put them on the level they are. Yep. They just work and work and work that technique from every, every position. Yeah, I'm not that dedicated. <laughs> so so what they used to do was if they get stuck in us or held in a certain position, they would just then try drill the it, defense drill it, drill and it, attack from there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's it's... that's a good a good lesson. A good lesson on that mm. one. Uh, so how many? Uh, well, we got we... the bluebell, didn't we? Yeah. We just keep yeah. Deep... So yeah. So two thousand and three, two thousand and four time, I got my blue belt from Roberto Atala. Yeah. Then I was training with Carlos Lemos. Carlos came to the UK between two thousand and four and two thousand and six. I got my purple in two thousand and six off of him. He yeah. then left to set up in Chicago, I believe. And I believe he's still there now. I haven't spoken to him for a long time. But he's Salvo's instructor, so you could speak to him about that. After Carlos left, an instructor called Italo Ferreira came over. He stayed for three years. And he was teaching again in Bristol in the same gym. I got my brown belt off of him. And then he went to Abu Dhabi. Then Chico wow. came over and the Chetmat team. And 2012, I got my black belt from Chico. Um, wow. And all that time, I was still only teaching one, maybe two classes a week and still yep. traveling up to train with them. I didn't go full time teaching more until I got to third degree. Yeah. Was that a wise decision, do you think? Um, it's expanded my knowledge. Yeah. I got more understanding of technique than I ever have. Yeah. But you just, once you learn the technique, you see then when the instructor's showing it, what they're doing with their hands and the intricacies. Yeah. There's a term banded about called hidden jujitsu, and it is hidden mm -hmm. because although it, like adjusted a collar choke, for instance, if your hands are in the right place, it's more effective. Yeah, And it's just little things like that that add the extra to that technique. And it's only experience and learning off of an experienced instructor that gives you that. Yes. So would you recommend you know, trying to get to seminars and training camps and all of those things. No, it's definitely. Um, well, my bit of advice on seminars is, and I've done a lot of seminars in my time, attended, don't try and learn all of it. If you can take one technique from that seminar and add it to your game, you've succeeded. That's worth the 40, 50 quid or however much it is to attend the seminar, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Don't try and you you get some people they video it, they write it all down. Great. But if you can just take that one thing, it's worthwhile. Yeah. That's a really good mindset piece on that. 
I've attended a, a couple of seminars, not very many. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's quite overwhelming. Um, and then, you know, you kind of get sense checked and, you know, you're not quite doing the move, you reposition. Um, and it is really overwhelming because, you know, it's in a really intense period of time um, where you're, you know, you're, the move is being demonstrated. It's, it's a funny it's a tough scenario for an instructor given the seminar because yeah. obviously you've got white belts right up to black belts attending mm. and you want to cater for everyone. So they'll show a lot of techniques generally. Yeah. When I do my seminars and I go out to, I've got a couple of clubs that are under us, um, one in Exeter, for instance, I'll go there and I'll show one concept and yeah. build a couple of things off of that concept, not give hundreds of finishes just try and build that one part of the person's game or the yeah. club's game. No, that's that's good. Breaking things down and, and drilling, you know, I found so much value in, you know, drilling certain moves over and over mm. again. Um, now muscle memory is key. Yeah. There's a term I use all the time, baby steps. Everyone wants to do that technique at 100 mile an hour straight away. But yeah. a baby can't run straight away. It's got to crawl. It's got to walk. Yeah. It's got to toddle about. It's not until yeah. he's learned how the muscle memory, his body's got the muscle memory, till they get that running technique. And it's the same yes. with jujitsu, baby steps. Nice. I like that. There's an amount of frustration, you know, when you're kind of a young adult, which I'm not now, but being told, oh, you can't run before you can walk. And you go, oh, shut up. I just want to do the thing. But actually, there's a there's an amount of knowledge and experience that, you know, you just need to turn on the slowdown and, like you say, take the baby steps to just learn that muscle memory on I, those I moves. think it's culture as well today. Everyone wants things so quick. And it's just, it's not, you can't do it with jujitsu. You've got to, you're in it, if you're in it, you're yeah. in it for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree. So we know where your school is in Western Supermare, yep. behind Sainsbury's. Are people welcome to come along for a, a trial class? Yeah, we offer two weeks free as standard. You can take okay. as many classes as you want in that two week period. Um, don't buy equipment to see if you like it. Yeah. We're a very welcoming gym. We have a certain Good. policy there, which I said earlier, but I won't repeat it now. Yep. We don't tolerate idiots. We want people to come and trade hard, but be yep. respectful to each other. And more women. We want more women training. Good. Well, we will be putting out all of the all of the social media and marketing. I will be um sharing some some clips. Uh, from this episode, Ian, for your your team to share with some of the really good points, you know, the baby steps, the, you know, kind of slowing things down and um, your whole journey, which has been incredible. And I think, you know, there's a lot more to talk about. Um, so you will get another invitation uh, to join me on a future episode, which would be fantastic. I'm quite pleased I managed to get all the way through without swearing. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family show. <laughs> thank you so much, Ian. Um, That's okay. I really thank you for, you know, finding some time to have a conversation with me. I feel very honoured um, talking with um, my first um, black belt on my um, Jiu-Jitsu Lube podcast. So thank you for making 
this a first. Um, and we will head out to Western Supermare. Me and the kids will come and see your school and uh, find out what you're all about. Yeah, you're more than welcome anytime. As I said. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ian. Okay. Thank you. Speak soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for telling your friends about this show. To get notified of upcoming guests and special offers, head over to jujitsulu.com and subscribe. Thanks again for listening. Catch you on the next episode of the Jiu Jitsu Lu podcast.